When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, John, you, uh, you ready to tell me where you've been the last three years? You really don't know? Well, I know that on the day that Ben here turned the wheel, that you and I were sitting on a log. It was a bright light, it was a loud noise, and then you just disappeared. Well, Richard, you're just about to see where I disappeared, too. And after we're finished with that, I'd like you to take me to see Jacob. That's not how it works, John. Is that true, Richard? Is this going to be a problem? You just got back, John. There's no reason to rush into it. I am the leader now, right? Yes, John, that's right. Good. Then I would like you to take me to Jacob. Can you do that? Yeah, of course. Fantastic. Let's keep moving. We're almost to the plane. What plane? It's a beachcraft. I used to smuggle heroin. I flew out of Nigeria, crashed here. All right, Richard, listen very carefully because you're only going to have about three minutes to get this right. Get what right? A man's about to walk out of the jungle. He's been shot in the leg. You'll need this to get the bullet out. I'm sorry, John. I'm no, not... just listen. This is the important part. You're going to need to tell him that he has to bring everyone who left back to the island. And when he asks how to do that, you tell him he's going to have to die. Who is that man, John? some newly found boar and have a nice chat about the penultimate episode of Lost Season 5. Shall we, folks? Come on, let's do it. Misdeeds with a dead man's lead Sawyer and Jack and they just love to bleed Trailers coming better get on the sub Tom's take a field trip to say they go the hatch it's the lost rewatch podcast here a push to recap stock season five episode 15 follow the leader 
this is Josh Wiggler following up on that beautiful <laughs> Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> Born in the what did you no, say? No, it's, it's not born in the USA. It's bomb and the Radzinski. Bomb in the Radzinski. Bomb and the Radzinski. <laughs> so here's my creative bomb, process. Bomb. This is Mike Bloom. Hi, Mike Bloom. Hello. Bomb in the ra- bomb and the Radzinski. Yeah. So this is my that own creative is, process. That is. Next level stuff, Mike. Very good. Thank very you very good. much. You know, I'll admit when it comes to <laughs> pulling things out of this like <laughs> labyrinthian, depraved mind of mine, I usually just think of like, well, what will make me laugh? And I'm not going to lie. I was sitting there yesterday. I was driving to pick up my son thinking of like, yeah. all right, I got to do some sort of Springsteen parody. Josh is on vacation. So I have the duty this time. I'm the leader yes, yeah. for this instance. What should I do? And for some reason, I thought of bomb and the Radzinske, and I kid you not, I was laughing for about four straight minutes to myself, and I'm like, okay, I think this is a good, I cleared the first gate, right? Like, if it made me laugh, I'm hoping it makes at least one other person laugh, that person being Josh Wiggler. I think this is a mission success, quote, two episodes from now, it worked, so I feel happy, personally. Bomb and the Radzinske. Uh, (laughs) The more you say it, the more I I would say it worked. It worked. Uh, unbelievable. Honoring the time-honored tradition of doing a Bruce Springsteen song parody for the penultimate episode of a season of Lost here on Down the Hatch. We are nothing if not very on brand, folks. Uh, we are at the penultimate episode of season five, Mike Bloom. It's follow the leader and it's got nothing to do with the Wario Casino. Yeah, unfortunately. Actually, I don't know. We know that the man in black. I don't know. Some people forms. are taking chances. There's some chances. Uh, people are taking chances. Yeah, and, and there's and like right a bomb here. about to go off, right? That's the equivalent of like throwing throwing some sort of Mario laden device in there to just blow everything up. So there's a lot yes. of items being thrown around, a lot of gambits being made as we're really setting the stage. I mean, you say this a lot with penultimate episodes, Josh, but this really does feel like the incident part one to the parts two and three, and that it really does seem like its purpose is to put characters in a certain position to open up parts two and three, which I would say, you know, there's no place like home part one certainly did, but that at least had like a framing device of, you know, a flashback thing. I think that's what distinguishes this from other penultimate episodes, because we've certainly had, I just mentioned there's no place like home, Exodus was another one that had a part one, you know, air a week before parts two and three. You've talked about how greatest hits can almost be like uh, through the looking glass part one. I think where those differ is the fact that we still do have that framing device to work through. This is actually a good sequel episode to Because You Left in many ways. But one of them being this is one of those season five episodes that has no centric character. And so it does kind of lie in this weird place of being connected to the finale, but not really being connected to the finale. That being said, you know, cards out. I enjoyed this episode more than I thought I would. Yeah. Well, it is, uh, it is very much like Smokey McSmokerton is just like getting the ducks in a row. 
you know, and mm. like that is highly enjoyable. I think the return of Saeed is something that I really like. I think like we're kind of like in a few of our final like uh, really just great Saeed moments coming up here. Um, I think that there is like this sort of sense of forward momentum. I think that the penultimate episode of Lost typically serves uh, which I'm now realizing is uh, is a is a great word choice for the metaphor. I think that it's like the penultimate episode. You are is like the first process of the serve in tennis. Uh, mm. You're throwing the ball up into the air, and then it's the finale's job to ace uh, to ace the opponent. And I think that it does it always work out that way. I don't know. I think like Born to Run in season one is setting up the raft launch uh, very well. Uh, I think in season two, you find out what Mike's whole what Michael's whole thing is doing and like why he's why he's doing yeah, what he's done. There's still a lot on what my whole thing is. <laughs> Yeah, we're still trying to work on that. Um, season three, I think, is the classic example of greatest hits really setting up um, not just like we're going to like Jack's cards are finally turned over. We're going to blow up the others. And Charlie is finally ready to seize his destiny. Um, season four, whether you want to assign that to Cabin Fever or to There's No Place Like Home Part One, I think it's a very similar deal of we have to move the island is the big Cabin Fever setup. So it sends you into that final episode of like, can they do that? Is that mm-hmm. a thing? Um, I think this episode very much accomplishes these things. Uh, it's, you know, here's the bomb. We're getting the jug head. We're setting up like we're putting like the bomb in the drawer to go off in the final act. And then there's the major bomb of the seemingly like congenial John Locke, who has returned with all of the confidence in the world, now saying, I want you to kill the leader of the island. And it is such a dark turn. And mm. obviously, it plays very differently for us knowing who this guy actually is. Um, but it is uh, both of these storylines are are very deliberately setting off what's going to happen in the finale. These are threats that they are going to make good on one episode later. So I think it's exciting stuff. I, I you know, I've made no bones about the fact that I, I really do love a lot of like the chess PC stuff on Lost. Mm. I love hanging out with the characters. I love seeing them just travel the island and do shit. This is a great travel the island and do shit episode. That being said, I think there are some character moments that I do not remember, but certainly pop up here that I think, in my opinion, different from an episode like Namaste, which I was certainly not as high on. Also, I think it's necessary because we'll talk about this with the incident. The incident might be one of the most plot forward finales in comparison to the other ones where characters will certainly get their moments. But I think that a lot is done more so in service to like, the Jacob stuff and everything going on with the titular incident that I'm glad that this episode exists to give some of these other moments to characters. Like for instance, Miles's arc kind of closes here in this episode. He's going to have that moment next episode where he does end up kind of saving Pierre Chang's life, but not one of his hands. But for all intents and purposes, like we are closing the loop on what has existed right. in the past couple of episodes. I think this episode is sneakily character driven in a lot of ways there's a lot of good sawyer and juliet stuff which is heartbreaking knowing this is going to be you know we're within hours of their last conversation that they're going to have together on the island uh so i think there's a lot of really interesting character stuff and especially like you said it's been a while uh we're going back to the john Locke stuff for the first time since dead is dead we really saw Smokey come into his own and we saw him there really manipulate, you know, the Ajira people and Ben especially. But now we have this really unique experiment of back in the day, John Locke was given the keys to the castle 
and was there for all of like 10 seconds. What happens when someone pretending to be John Locke finally gets to be in control of the others? And it's a really fun thing to watch, especially considering from the man in black aspect and especially the man in black Richard Alpert duo that we're going to find out much more later on in Avaterno have a really storied history together to watch these two. I wouldn't say watch these two jockey for power because Richard Alpert does a lot of abdication in this episode, but to watch their abdication turno. (laughs) There we go. I think we got there. I think we got there. No, we did. I don't know that we did. I I personally approve it. Uh, It's, it's, uh, you know, recompense for you approving of bomb (laughs) and the reds and stay so much. But I, yeah. I think that it's it's an interesting setup of what's to come in a lot of ways from the 2007 side of things. And even though I would say the 2007 side of things is by far the weaker of the duo between this and 1977, there's some strong stuff in here, especially that wallop of a final scene that we'll get to. All right. Before we get into it, let's take a quick moment to thank our sponsors for this episode of Post Show Recaps. Those are our friends over at Geico. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work. You know what's easy? Bundling policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowners or renters insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to Geico.com, get a quote and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. With all of that said, let us go forth into the jungle and talk about Follow the Leader, which is technically a Richard Albert-centric. I think that is like officially the the credit because he's really... He's sort of like in the way of like, even though Namaste gets credited to Frank, like you're really kind of like threading through the quans, like uh, like the quantum entanglement, quite quite <laughs> literally, of like Jin and Son in different time periods. This is a tale of two Richards. It's the same guy, but because of his uh, you know veritable agelessness, he's able to experience, um, you know, we're able to experience him in two very separate points in time as played by the same actor mercifully without any need for ridiculous flashback hair. Uh, although I wouldn't have minded like, I don't know. Should they've like tried to give Richard Alpert a mushroom cut at one point in time. Are we missing out on like a, a deep nineties, Richard Alpert? Like, should he have gone full mushroom at one point? Or at least seventies, you know, like when do the trends from the outside world make their way over? We'll see obviously when he's Ricardus, he uh, has the long-haired look to him. Obviously, right. he chopped all that up, but it's a good point. Did he try dye at one point? You know, did he try to go for some of that sandy brown to mimic Jacob's hair? Well, the he does have like out. the long hair when when Ben meets him for the first time. But is that a wig? Is he like trying his old look again? Uh, I don't know. Uh, but either way, it's a tale. It's a tale of two. Richards. Ooh, do you think Richard ever tried dreads? Uh, no. Probably not. I don't know. I don't know why he would. Uh, I doesn't. Maybe. I guess like he's been alive for a long time. It's possible, Mike, that there's not a lot that he hasn't done. That's very true. Go through like the the men's hairstyle book that you see at a local haircutting place. Richard Alpert's very probably worldly. Done them all. Yeah, it's a very worldly guy. But yeah, so the re- the reason why people usually say Richard is because much like we've seen in the past, when we do our usual flashback drums, it's usually between Richard scenes, right? Like there's that one moment where Eloise quotes her future self and says, all right, let's get started. And the camera focuses on Richard. Drums take us into that scene that we heard in the intro of him walking through the jungle with Locke and Ben. So a lot of like the direct transitioning between scenes happens with Richard Alpert, even though Richard Alpert himself 
is more of a conduit in this episode. He's a tunnel, not the bomb. Should we have called this episode the conduit? That would have been interesting. How about the con to wit? The con to wit. Yeah. Is it the con like to it as in like the con like you're going over to it? Or is it like the con to wit? Exactly. Uh, like, the con, yeah. comma, to wit. Yeah, I like that. I like that. I think that's great. Uh, probably I, not I great. think people will be looking at me like, what the hell is, what yeah. the hell are they doing? Do we like follow the leader? Uh, I think I think it's cute. I think it's cute, obviously well. Actually, I think it's actually very appropriate because there's a lot. One of the main themes of this episode, again, one why I like it is because I think it's it's more thematically representative than just uh, moving the pieces along. There's a lot of leadership exchanges happening here, where you have obviously the main stories. I think Richard yielding leadership to Locke, but you have you know Ben, who's the former leader of the others, now living with the others under Locke for the first time. Even the small things like. Winmore abdicating to Eloise's plan. Sawyer sort of like metaphorically in leaving the island, letting Jack take over as the leader of this bomb mission. And hell, Rydzinski himself gets in on the theming, right? He supplants Horace as the leader of the Dharma security team and assumingly the entire DI at this point. So I think it actually is a very thematic title. Yeah, I think it works. Uh, and also, like, I just keep getting uh, following the leader. Yes, from Peter head. Pan. I had the exact yeah. same thought. Yeah, yeah, I get that stuck in my head. And then the other thing that I get stuck in my head, which maybe I would have done if I had been in charge of the song parody, even though it's not Bruce Springsteen, would have been, follow the leader. Uh, I just couldn't get uh, Cry Me a River out of my head with follow oh, the leader. Oh, gotcha. I was like, I'm tr- I was trying to put the, yeah, the it's melody to it. It's a little bit of Timberlake is kind of where I was Well, I mean, listen, they're doing a lot of swimming in the pond. So I think that like making it water related would not be too out of the realm of possibilities. Are you saying that because of a river or because of Timberlake? Oh, I like that. You've got to All swim right, under sorry. the Timberlake. We're lost. We're That's lost. We're lost. Are. We're lost. Recalibrating. All right. Jack and Kate, we get like sort of like their perspective on what happens after Daniel enters the camp. Uh, and they're like talking about how like, is this crazy or is this why we're here? We have a differing of opinions. <laughs> uh, like, is maybe this is why we're here. This is our one chance to put things back uh, before this conversation can develop much further. It certainly will later on. Daniel Faraday gets shot and killed by his mom? Yeah, I like this because this is, you know, Kate's going to tell Jack later that he's really showing Locke in all of the warts and all. But I think in this moment, it's very much Jack being like, no, I really believe him. Cut to him being shot. Uh, And this idea of, okay, maybe this plan isn't going to work, which was our sense at the end of the variable, right? That Daniel Faraday was wrong at the end of all of this. And it's a really interesting perspective to watch Jack in these last two episodes, knowing that he is going to be wrong, that his attempts to try to change the future will be for naught and it will end up to the deaths and certainly maiming of certain people. But to see the reasoning behind Jack with it, you know, there certainly are reasons why you could give, I think, both he and Kate LVP points in this episode. I think they're more well-deserved for certain characters, which we'll get into but it, it's intriguing to see, as we as we sort of doted upon last episode, but really get vocalized here. Jack has finally found his purpose. Uh, he's been, you know, lying in wait with the with his hunting rifle, ready to shoot something that finally came into his path, that big buck to bring down. And he finally sees it in his scope, and he's like, "Okay, perfect. This is what I want to do. No matter how much I may be misled, no matter how much Daniel Faraday might have gotten shot by his own mother, I still think this is the right thing to do." Yeah. 
Um, so uh, this goes poorly. Uh, Daniel is killed. Uh, Kate and Jack are... I don't know why I was just about to say Kate and Jack are arrested. The others are arrested. I mean, sort of. It's just like, is, it, is it like vigilanteism, you know? I don't know. Like, you're under arrest. I don't think that's something that the others are saying. <laughs> yeah, are, I mean, went. to quote Sawyer, they have no authority here. Yeah, you guys are under arrest. Uh, so they arrest Jack and Kate. Uh, back at the camp, um, Eloise is flipping through the journal. She's like, oh, shit. Because she's recognizing her own handwriting in the message right. to Daniel. She's like, okay, so I'm pretty sure I just killed my time-traveling son, but I'm going to need like a few conversations <laughs> with a couple of people to like really be sure about that, but this doesn't feel great. So, speaking of her time-traveling son, I'm trying to remember the face that Daniel Faraday died with. Because I'm not going to lie, the way Jeremy Davies looks in this episode, in those close-ups, is a, is a, a skosh doofy, in my opinion. I'm just like the... Day- look on his face i think he was more horrified when he died at the end maybe his face just naturally relaxed into more of a doofy face yeah uh i don't know but i think it's lovely uh he's so 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 richard is like this guy just came in uh he put a gun up to me and uh like charles like what's going on here what why do we have all these people here they're not from the and ellie's like they're not from the dharma initiative these guys uh, I can yeah, he's tell like, you oh, well, I guess, I guess Dharma declared war. Screw the truce, as weird as it may have been. And Ollie was like, no, no, no. They're not from it. Don't worry about it. I've got it. Go back on your little horsey and go ride out into the jungle, Charles. With God, I, lo- I love middle-aged Charles Widmore. He looks great. Yeah, the um, war turtle Charles Widmore makes a return here. Yeah, he's great. Uh, so we get that, like, well, if they're not from the Dharma Initiative, then where are they from? Smash, 30 years later. And when we come back in, it's 2007, a little Richard Alpert with a little ship. Well, isn't this so cute? Some foreshadowing. A little ship in a bottle. I don't know. It's interesting. Has he, has he gotten over the trauma to that point that he's building one? You know, you feel like it hit a little too close to home, right? Like if someone from 815 was building a model plane in a bottle. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know if, like... Uh, you know, if like the thing that traumatized you becomes your hobby at some point, but Richard Alpert's been alive for a long time, so uh, I don't know. <laughs> Even revisiting that comment, it's sure. either an argument for or against immortality that the things uh-huh. that haunt you, you'll eventually make hobbies out of. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so let's listen in. Let's use this to sound number one because Richard Alpert is going to. Uh, he's. I mean, he's going to see a ghost, isn't he? A g g ghost He's here. I brought dinner. John? Hello, Richard. It's been a while. been uh, three years what happened what where were you i'll explain on the way on the way where it's gonna be night soon you and i have an errand to run and we don't have a lot of time what's wrong something different about you i have a purpose now
he doing here? He helped me get back. Why did Locke say these were his people? I thought they were yours. When I left the island, John stepped in. He's the leader now. Who's that man he's talking to? His name is Richard Alpert. He's a kind of... advisor. And he has had that job for a very, very long time. Son, what are you... Were you here in 1977? Excuse me? These people. Jack Shepard. Kate Austin. Hugo Reyes. They were here with my husband, Jin Won. Were you here? Do you remember them? Any of them? Yes, I was here 30 years ago. And I do, I remember these people. I remember meeting them very clearly because... I watched them all die. about this uh first there is a deleted scene for this episode that i guess at one point in time was actually going to open the episode instead of the jack and kate Rashomon mm. stuff that shows ben sun and Locke hunting said boar oh that's fun um yeah we're basically I'll, I'll talk through just like a couple of pieces of dialogue here yeah uh sun says where is he taking us ben says wherever he wants uh, and Sun says, do you know how he plans to get us back to our people? Ben, our people are in 1977, Sun. So the operative question would be, how does he plan to get them back to us? Uh, Locke turns around. John? Locke points a gun at Ben and runs past him, shooting a boar. Locke says, sorry if the noise hurts your ears. He picks up the boar on his shoulders. Locke says, hate to let this go to waste. They might be hungry. Sun says, who might be hungry? Locke says, my people. And he walks away while Ben stares in surprise, which actually is a fun mirroring to how the episode ends, right? With like Locke dropping this big bomb, pun unintended, and leaving Ben just like standing there shocked. So not shot. So yeah, now now we find out through this deleted scene how he ended up getting the boar. It's a fun mirror as well to how the season began. If you remember in The Lie, Miles walks into camp with a boar. In yep. that case, you know, the connection between the two characters is interesting. Miles got the boar because he could talk with dead animals, knew the animal was dead. You know, Man in Black killed the boar, but this is also a creature slash human embodiment of something that has the ability to talk with the dead or, you know, mimic the dead in a way. So it's an interesting thematic connection between these two characters on top of a delicious choice from MIB to be like, what would John Locke do in this moment? Well, He'd probably walk in with a boar over his head. Well, it's also a great homage to walk about. Uh, yeah. and, and Locke returning to camp with the boar that we presume is effectively gifted to him by the monster all the way back then. Uh, so this is at least uh, the monster's like second pig uh, that, we can, that we can account for, uh, if, if not more than that uh, along the way. Um, so I think, I think it's great. I think it's, like, it's a very Lockean moment, but it is also very consistent 
with the monster's connection to John Locke. It's like one of yeah. their like their old, you know, it really is sort of like their first sacred uh, meeting. <laughs> it's uh, their first date. You know, so it's it's great. Um, but I, I love Richard being like, something's changed about you. Like, something's different. And uh, John Loki may as well just be like, yeah, well, I'm a totally different guy. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not a I'm, simpering little pity anymore. Yeah. Oh Dirty God! Oh my God! I feel like he would talk like that, would he not? Oh my goodness! Uh, we're getting get, we're getting the bleeps out again. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean it, that very much though. I think is very evocative of like the John Locke was a sucker line we're gonna get right of essentially this is the Man in Black making a crack about John Locke in John Locke's body. That to your point, they had a relationship, but the man in black always saw himself above John Locke. So he's like, yeah, I'm better than this guy. I actually know what I'm doing at this point. And there's also some very loaded dialogue in It's Been a While. I mean, could you imagine that this is the real first interaction the man in black has had with Richard Alpert since Abiterno? Hmm. Um, that's so hard to believe. I think it's possible that it's um the first one that they've had where Richard. No, I mean like this wouldn't this wouldn't quite work. I, I was gonna say the first one where Richard is aware of who the guy is. Like I I have to imagine he has encountered the man in black on other occasions, potentially not knowing that it's the man in black. Right. Like, I think like mm-hmm. that makes sense because the smoke monster has has appeared in so many other different forms. Um, I think we got to like there has to be a reason why um, why the smoke monster hasn't killed Richard yet. He's going to say in the final season, like, I want you to join me. I want the same thing I've always wanted with you, Richard. Um, so I think like the monster for sure has at least kept tabs on Richard. Why they wouldn't have interacted at some point over the course of all this time feels i don't know feels kind of weird to me um i have to imagine that they've interacted do you feel differently i don't know maybe it's more so that they've interacted i'm i'm certain that richard albert has some, had some sort of interaction with the smoke monster but that to me feels distinctly different than the conversation they have in abiterno right where man in black's like i'm gonna get to you before jacob gets to you and bring you over to my side Maybe that's what he's alluding to, because like we talked about this in Dead is Dead, right? Lots of loaded dialogue where he's like, I know something you don't know. I very much get this sense here. To your point, it could either be a reference to the only other interaction we've seen between the two, or maybe it's been a while as in like it's been 10 years and they've had correspondences or moments in the hundreds of years since Richard arrived on the island. But it has indeed been a while. Um, one other thing that I really enjoy in this scene is when, like, Son comes up to Richard and, like, do you know any of these people? And Richard says, I was there 30 years ago and I remembered watching them all die. Obviously very provocative going into the final episodes of yeah, the season. such a cliffhanger. Like, like, oh, shit. Okay, this is gonna go poorly. Um, or is it, like, what else could he have possibly seen? Like, I think those are, like, things that are rushing through your head in that moment. Um, but the other thing is that, like, this like really uh, colors the way Richard Alpert has um, been operating on this island and potentially how like depending on who he's disclosed this to, uh, like when when Oceanic 815 dropped, 
did Richard just like keep all of this to himself? Like, it, you know, the, the others have extensive files on at least Jack Shepard. Uh, mm-hmm. And we certainly presume uh, the rest of them, they know enough about Kate to tell John Locke she's a fugitive and like give her like the full rundown of what she's done beyond just when she was outed as a fugitive by Sawyer. Like just when they told me what you did, you know, like he knows like stuff from the others. Did Richard just like, he had to have known that some of these people were like, oh, God, that's one of those guys that I saw in the 1970s. Okay, yeah. things are, like, uh, activating. Things are happening. Like, we're getting into getting into place. Uh, does he just sit on this? Does he just not want to interfere at all and, like, see, like, are there some sort of, like, should we, like, see if, like, we have a little more agency involved in, like, sending these people back? Like, this is this is interesting to me in a way that, like, potentially is like uh like compelling compelling for the right reasons and then there are other ways where it's like is this a little bit of a a lapse like wouldn't yeah. wouldn't richard have like i don't know wanted to intercede maybe a little bit more is it just like he's such a strict jacob loyalist that the rule of the land is don't interfere maybe it's that mm. yeah i mean could richard albert be i know that uh we've got what if on the brain could he sort of feel like he has a bit of an uatu role here Right. Of like, I watch, I know, but I cannot interfere from that perspective, especially if when John Locke comes waltzing in in 1954 and says, I'm from the future and basically busts his head open about time travel. We talked about this with Eloise last week about how much is this idea of whatever happened, happened, like burned into his brain to the point of inaction. I'm not entirely sure. To your point, uh, I'm going to proposition now a second lost radio play to be made. That's just like the Richard Alpert episode, not Abaterno, but basically seeing everything from 1977 on through his eyes. My headcanon is that he knows his information. He probably tells Jacob at some point. But I think because leadership in the others otherwise changes hands so quickly, the two of them would keep that secret between the two of them because yeah. it is such like a monumental thing. It's like we don't necessarily trust all these guys between your Charles Widmore, your Louise Hawkins, your Benjamin Linuses, whoever, that, you know, they might they definitely won't be as around as long as we are, Richard. Uh, I don't think we necessarily need to bring everyone in on the big secret. This is just a need to know basis. That's the way I think about it. And I know that some people, you know, might have reservations for Richard because it's like, well, they didn't die. So, you know, why did you mislead them into thinking that they did? But actually, apparently, there was, uh, th- there's like a, on the season five Blu-ray, there's an outline of the season finale on a, uh, an image of a whiteboard in the writer's room. And apparently, there was a different final scene where, you know, Juliet hits Jughead in frustration, the screen cuts to white, and Richard Alpert sees Jughead explode in the distance. Yeah. So it's very much like that idea of, you know, the way Sawyer was operating, in the beginning of season five, the way everyone in the Oceanic Six were operating when they thought Jin was dead of like, something blew up. The bodies aren't there. I have a feeling they're dead. Right, 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 right. Um, I think all of that tracks. Um, so I, I love this this next scene when we come back from commercial of uh, John Loki, the smoke man himself, talking to Sun uh, and this whole conversation about like, listen, we didn't go through all of this for nothing. Uh, mm-hmm. like, uh, he basically is like, if there's a, if there's a way for you and Jin to be together again and a way to save our people, I'll find it. Um, <laughs> this shit's a lie, man. Like this dude yep. is, I, I love 
John Loki. I really season so five great. John Loki is exceptional. Uh, yeah. just, it's like we're like, back in 2012 all over again, right? Like, yes, lie to me, Daddy. I love this. Keep tricking these rubes. You know, like he is just like he is. He is very much uh, all about just like whatever to get. Like I'm so close to the finish line. I will do and say anything at this point. Not that he wasn't before, but there's also sort of like there's like an ease to which he's doing all of this and like a giddiness. And I and, you know, I've talked about this before in terms of like my feeling on the monster that like some of the traits of the people he takes on just like glom on and he feels them earnestly. And John Locke loves nothing more in the world than being on this island. So there's like got to be like a sense to which like he's just smelling the air. He's got you know, the sand between his toes. Like he's just like feeling the breeze and he's about to kill his ancient adversary. Uh, and there is just like, there is just such a readiness about, uh, about the smoke monster in all this. And I think it's like really present in the way that he lies uh, to, to son. Uh, I think yeah. is, is really, really, really well done. Well, I think also let's remember that this is a character who is used to manipulation. Right, he is used to probing the minds of his his torture victims and appearing in the in the visage of something that you think might drive them over the edge. In the case, literally, with Jack in White Rabbit, so he's pretty good at reading people from that perspective. And so, I think he is totally fine with lying through his teeth to son of being like, yeah, 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 yeah. You want to get back together with Jin? So do I. That's totally fine. He has no problems doing that, as opposed to the real John Locke certainly had his deceptions beforehand but again i think it was still based in like this overall sense of purpose man in black certainly does but i think he has a much easier time of just completely fibbing to somebody and saying that i'm on the same side as you when he's not whatsoever right So Locke is a uh, fake Locke is going to ask Richard, do you still have the compass I gave you? And so this is where we're going to get into like Schrodinger's compass, right? Like we're going right. to get into like, how did the compass come to be? It's a total paradox. Um, and like, how does the smoke monster know uh, to go to this moment? Um, I think one of the things that we accept about um, the smoke monster's abilities based on what he says in the season six premiere, when he's able to tell Ben, um, like what John Locke was thinking before he died, um, mm-hmm. that like he knows specifically the circumstances in which he died. So like you get the sense that he has memories. Like you do get the sense that he has like attributes of John Locke, uh, of the people that he takes on, that he learns this stuff. Um, so I, I feel like in, in doing that, if he's taking on the experiences of John Locke, Mike, and whatever happened, happened as a rule, that means that what is about to happen uh, in terms of giving the compass to John Locke from Richard Alpert has already happened to John Locke. So the smoke monster would have access to those memories. He would also have access to the memories of the compass going to Richard. Uh, ergo, makes sense, according to the smoke monster in this moment in time, like, well we got to go give the compass to John Locke and tell him he's got to go die. Uh, like, I think like that all tracks for me. I don't know if I'm explaining it well, but like I can, I can certainly see the line as for how the monster knows to go into the woods and get Richard to give John Locke the compass in this upcoming moment. Right. I think people remind us, uh, whoever's listened to and remembers our, our, recap of because you left because this is where the scene comes up 
I think you mentioned that. I think you also mentioned the fact that there's also a chance the smoke monster was like hanging around during that time to maybe, oh, I know actually that would happen in the future. So that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I, I could see that. I could see the fact that in implanting himself, we've talked about this before that I think it's within the realm of possibility for the smoke monster to be able to like scan the memories of a person, uh, especially if they are, you know, trying to embody them. We talked about this with like playing the part of Yemi, uh, you know, playing the part of the black horse for Kate. Uh, so I think that it's within the realm of possibilities. Certainly. Otherwise, yeah, it's this odd thing of, okay, but where did the compass ever come from is a very, it's a little bit of a, of a breaky question, but I think it's a fun question. You know, it, it's not something that's going to completely have me throw the entire plot out the window. It's more of a meta example of just how twisty and sometimes nonsensical the idea of whatever happened happened and the time travel aspects of season five is. I see it more as like a glitchy celebration and saying like, oh, throw this video game out. It's all buggy. Yeah, uh, I think it's fine. I, I have no issue with it. I think it tracks for me. I get it if it doesn't for other people. But I think based on based on the, the rules of time travel as established by the show, I think that it makes sense. And as, as a stab, the rules of the smoke monster up to this point, as like at least heavily suggested, if not outright established by the show, then I think it also uh, tracks. Um, I love... Uh, uh, smoke monster telling Ben to come with us. Like he's not leaving him behind. And Ben being like, "Why are you afraid? I'll stage a coup." Uh, and the smoke monster says, "I'm not afraid of anything you can do." Very yeah, so dismissive. Again, so so dismissive. dismissive. Well, especially I think post dead is dead, right? Like essentially, this is Ben and Richard Alpert just being like massively emasculated over the course of an episode, right? Like Ben receives some salvation at the end of this. He felt like he was saved spared by the island but now i think he's starting to come into the reality of like yeah you have no power anymore john locke knows the island he has your people he feels he can directly communicate with jacob which you cannot like who are you right now and that's going to directly lead into the big thing that benjamin linus does in the season five finale yeah but i think right now locke is certainly digging in on that feeling right of like yeah, you used to be the big bad. In fact, you were the main villain of season three, but who are you anymore? We who we don't even you? care about that. Who are you really? Okay, so the monster tells Sun, uh, oh yeah, I'll, I'll figure this out. Like, I'll get you and Jin back together. Ideally on a submarine with mm-hmm. a time bomb. Uh, yeah, if there's a way to save our people, I'll find it. Yeah, for him, like saving our people is uh, freeing them of the island, which uh, <laughs> may be interpreted as freeing them of existence. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're going to untie these mortal coils I will, so you are no I longer shall, fettered. I, if I can say, I'm going to save your lives by destroying them. Uh, I, I mean, listen, I never that's a very, lied. That's a, it's I a very Saeed-like perspective, right, as we'll get to later. I never lied. Uh, in 1977, Jack is getting uh, beaten up. Uh, he's getting interrogated. Uh, when that's over, a badly beaten Jack Shepard and Kate Austin are going to have a conversation where they are revisiting what they were talking about before they got arrested by the others. Let's listen in sound two. Are you okay? <sighs> yeah. <sighs> you know, before we were caught... You said that we needed to put things back the way they were supposed to be. What did you mean by that? If we can do what Faraday said, our plane never crashes. 
Flight 815 lands in Los Angeles. And everyone we lost since we got here, they'd all be alive. And what about us? We just go on living our life because we've never met. All the misery that we've been through, we'd just wipe it clean. Never happened. It was not all misery. <sighs> Enough of it was. So, is it weird to say I can see both sides here? I can see it from Kate's side being like, yo, 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 don't do that. I'm going to jail. <laughs> Like, no, no, let's and not also, change and that. And also, like, uh, Aaron, I really love Aaron. Like, I love this was, Aaron, that was great. but also, like, I don't want to go to jail. No, if we <laughs> do, th- if this works, I go to prison, Jack. He's like, oh, you know, if she just says that, maybe he's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 maybe that's a good point. Like, he's well, not I don't thinking know. Again, from he's Kate's still, perspective. He's, still, I, he's a little, still a little frustrated about her, though, right? Like, when he tells her a couple episodes ago, like, you never, you know, you didn't like the, you never liked the old me. I think he clearly is still holding some resentment about everything from something nice back home and 316. I mean, I think what this really comes down to is the distinct disconnect in these two characters based on where they are in their lives. We spoke about this before. Jack is completely empty of fulfillment in this moment for so many ways. He thought he could have succeeded in his goal of getting off the island. Turns out he made a mistake. We have to go back. Now that he's back here, he's still trying to figure out, like, what the hell am I supposed to do? I feel aimless from that regard. Now, Kate has not completely succeeded in her goal. She has yet to find Claire and have her leave the island to bring her back to Aaron, but she certainly has found more purpose, right? Much like John Loki. I think she certainly feels more grounded, more guided. And so I do think I can understand both of their perspectives here, right? Where Kate says, yeah, I've experienced a a butt ton of heartbreak, but like, I'm in a pretty good place right now. I found peace. I realize you have to take the good with the bad. And here's Jack, who's like, it's been mostly bad for me. There have been very little moments of good. Also, people have died. It'd be nice if they weren't dead anymore. Not everyone was like Charlie and had a nice old happy hunky-dory death. A lot of people died very tragically and very darkly. It'd be nice to undo that. So I think I could understand their POVs based on not only like their own perspectives on everything, but also where they feel like they are in their own character arcs. We spoke about this, that like, the Kate arc has not necessarily reached a conclusion, but I think found a natural settling point, whereas Jack is far from that right now. Correct. I think that that's right. Um, and I think that for Jack, like uh, when he says like enough of it was bad, like he like I can see the line for him where like things have been so awful in his world. A lot of it of his own making, a lot of mistakes that he's made that maybe he can fix it. Right. Like, let me yeah. fix this. I'll fix it. So it never happened. Uh, like, this is the thing. Like, this is why I'm here. I'm here to make it so that I get to wipe the slate clean to boo the Rasa. Uh, I don't have to worry about any of this anymore because it's never going to happen. That's why I'm here. Rather than figuring out that, like, whatever happened, happened. And it's like what you do next uh, that that matters. You can't change the past. You can't change stuff. 
you have to accept what happened and you have to move forward. Uh, you know, whether that's uh, for redemption or redemption is just freaking off the table and it's just because it's what's right. Uh, like it's never too late to do the right thing. Uh, you know, like reward be damned. Um, and he is, uh, I don't think he's all the way there. You know, we still have a whole other season of the show that we have to get through. But I think it's a really interesting place to leave him where, like, he's trying to do the John Locke thing of looking for signs and believing in the island, uh, believing in the island's wisdom and, like, trusting the island's process. uh, And that this is, like, a thing that he has to do. And uh, it's a very similar thing as what's going on with John Locke during, like, a lot of that stuff for him, uh, where often... No, he is like fulfilling destiny and he is doing the things that need to happen because they always happened, uh, that these are all things that are part of, um, you know, the the wheel of destiny, so to speak. Mm. And like it's often unsatisfying and it's often frustrating and it sometimes leads to people getting killed and it's often a mistake. But just because it's a mistake doesn't mean it's not what's supposed to go down. Uh, And I think that that is that is like where Jack is about to be. And he's about to get like, I think, with like the nuclear bomb uh, and this whole mission being a bit of a failure like this is. And it's not lost on me, Mike, that this all has to do with the same general location. It's about the hatch. Mm. It's about the yeah. Swan Station. That this mission for Jack Shepard is what it was for John Locke when he was desperately trying to get into the hatch to find out what's beneath the door. What happens when I go down there? What's waiting for us? It's going to change our destiny forever. Um, and for Jack, it's about um, I I know what what's beyond this door. Like I know what's beyond this door that has yet to be built. Uh, I know what's down there and I know how to stop it. And this is what's going to happen. And you have to trust me. This is what's going to work. Um, And John Locke isn't wrong. And Jack isn't wrong either that what he's about to do is vitally important because it's a part of like unbreakable history. It's just Uh that they're both going to be at least immediately disappointed with the results. Yeah, I really love that comparison, not only to entering the hatch, but also being down in the hatch, too. Right. The whole thing of live together, die alone is Locke saying in a way like, let's break the wheel. You know, we're just rats running around looking for some cheese. Right. Uh, We're we're just you know, we we can change our fate. We can do this. It doesn't matter. That is sort of, I think, the perspective that Jack is going to take as well here of there's a way we usually go about things, but we're not going to do that. We are going to defy our fates and we're going to show we have free will and we are going to move forward on a completely new path, it's not a coincidence that they are both wrong, too. And I think that's it's a really fun comparison. And I also really like the idea that despite Jack Shepard imbuing himself with more of Locke's things, he still has to fix stuff. Yeah. Right? At the end of the day, if he's been given this offer of, well, you can fix everything, he's like, fix? Great! I'm, call me Fix a Felix! I'm gonna do that! You know, he still gets caught up in this idea of despite trying to learn to let things go... And not having to stubbornly rely on making sure everything and everyone is okay. When an offer gets thrown in front of him, you know, if he gave up sugar for Lent, and then they said, you just want a trip to Charlie's Chocolate Factory, he's like, oh, all right, let me see those Oompa Loompas. I'll do it. I don't want to, but I'll do it. Yeah. Uh, I love it. I think it's great. Uh, But I also do get, like, Kate's perspective. Like, no, don't do this. This is stupid. It wasn't all terrible. 
Uh, yeah, like, it's, 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 a li- it's a little bit of like a not a glass half full, half empty, because, again, these two have not experienced the same things. We talked about this, but Kate, relatively speaking, had like a pretty damn good three years off the island outside of the paranoia coming from Dan Norton not, and everybody else. If not good, then at least like, um, you know, one that had purpose to it. Right. Like one mm-hmm. that like felt like uh, it it made sense, like one that was like um, she did. She did things that she had to do. Uh, and she found love and she found connection. And the reason she's back here is to help, uh, to help that boy, to like save that boy, to find his mother, to bring her back. Um, and this is, this whole mission is like very contrary to that. Like he's eventually going to kind of like sell her on the logic of Claire's not here. You're not going to find her here. The thing you're looking for isn't happening here. My way will bring Claire back. It'll change everything, but she'll get to Los Angeles. Uh, she'll get to like make the choices that she wants to make. Uh, she'll get to do what's, what she feels is right for Aaron. Um, and I, I think like if I have a big critique of the incident and maybe it'll change when we start talking it through, it's like, I do think like some of the people are just like really easy sells on this mission when like, I don't mm. know that that's necessarily how they would play it. Um, uh, but like I understand at least right now why Kate is like really uh, definitely not feeling it. Um, yeah, I, I do think we'll talk about this next week that I wonder if this is an idea that they if they somehow have 20 episodes instead of 16 and they spend more time trying to get people on board with the idea, does does that help? You know, right. if, if we spend episodes of people undergoing things and, and getting hooked on this idea. I mean, that would definitely change the time frame, right? Because obviously the incident is a lot, unless they do a final season of How I Met Your Mother and every episode takes place over like an hour uh, in real time, maybe like 24. Maybe that's a way to do it outside of, I could understand why in the incident they're like, we kind of have to fast track this. So let's just have like a little bit of a cogent argument happen. And then a character immediately hops on board, even if it's not the most logical thing for them to do. Right. Um, okay, so Eloise Hawkins is going to come and she's like, Hey, so did I just kill my son? And Jack's <laughs> like, "Yeah, you absolutely did." Uh, like, she, and that's like, fun because Jack gets to now become Mister Time Travel, right? Yeah. Like, he has. We talked about how last week Daniel Faraday died, but his ideas lived on, especially in someone like Jack. And we see that literally here as Jack has to be the one to walk Eloise Hawking through. Okay, here's what happened. We're from the future, indeed, and we need to go do this with your help, right? Uh, so I love what she's like. Does he know what he's talking about? When she looks at uh Kate, and Kate's like, "Yeah, he thinks he does." Uh, and Fro is like, "Good enough for me." Uh, so mm-hmm. she's on board with, "All right, let's go find the bomb." Here's a problem: it's underground and it's beneath the Dharma Initiative. Maybe you guys could help us out. And they're like, "Oh no, this is not." Great. So when when the DI start building their village post Jughead, are the others just like, oh, "But but don't." Uh, uh, it's okay. I'm sure it'll be fine. Yeah, I think maybe they just don't know. I don't know. They don't know that they're building on top of a bomb. Um, well, yeah, the DI don't, but I would imagine that, uh, you know, the others, Eloise and, and Charles Winmore, are like, maybe you shouldn't do that. Maybe uh, don't do I'm it. I'm sure it's fine. Yeah, it's probably fine. Um, So that's going on. Uh, meanwhile, uh, we go from the bomb to Radzinske, uh as <laughs> <laughs> as uh, as Stu is working over Sawyer uh, in front of Juliet, and uh, yeah, he's asserting his dominance. He's in charge. You don't have the stomach for what happens next, Horace. 
Yeah, and I guess we're obviously not doing a Sawyer beatdown, though I think it's safe to say he probably gets the second most amount of beatdowns in the series next to Ben. Is this the worst, you think, or do you think being shot by the others at the end of season one is worse? Um, hmm. I don't know. Uh, I think that this is this is up there, like, as far as, like, the worst lickings Sawyer has taken. Um, I, I mean, I think him getting his ass kicked by Pickett was probably pretty bad. Yeah, Pickett, actually, you're right, might be the worst, because he was also, like, nearly going to die. Here, yeah. he's very much bloodied up, but it's more so, like, uh, show wounds, you know, of, like, yeah, he's still cogent, he's still talking, and by that I mean not talking, not saying anything, so... Yeah, definitely not as bad as Pickett, where he seemed like he was literally on his last ounce of life. Um, so it's gonna take uh, it's gonna take a turn. Uh, the beat down with Sawyer. Why don't we listen in on everything that's gone down here? Sound number three. Hey, you ready to talk now? <sighs> Believe me, I'm getting tired of this too, Jim. So why don't you tell me where your girlfriend took the boy? She bring him to the hostels? You know where they are? Stop! Stop! Please! You want me to stop? Then tell me what I want to know! Stuart, please. We have known each other for three years. We are not bad people. We are not here to hurt you. Julia. Don't. Whatever you tell them, they ain't gonna believe you. So we're gonna get more people hurt. What are we doing, man? Beating him is pointless, okay? He's not gonna talk. I can make him talk. Easy. Dead man. Mr. Rosensky, there's still no sign of Miles or Jen. But the recruits from last week, I got their subs manifest from Amy. There were three last minute add ons. They were the two people that shot at you, Shepard and Austin, and one guy we can't track down. He's got to be a part of this. Who the hell is Hugo Reyes? He's the fat guy. Ladies and gentlemen, presenting Paul the Gunman. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's me. I'm Saul's cousin, Paul. I'm, I work Dharma Security here. I think Saul, do I have the better job? Does Saul have the better job? I don't know. You decide the drill. But yeah, I'm, I'm just saying a lot more kooky stuff's happening above ground and underground nowadays. You know, uh, I feel like I'm bleeding from the nose. Uh, when I watched this this time, I was like, yo, that's <laughs> Saul's cousin for sure. Those- yeah, because here this guy comes with like this. Thick Brooklyn accent, he just shows like up. Mr. Redzinski. We got the manifest here. Mr. Redzinski. Uh, yeah, like, he just, like, shows up. This is actor Kevin Chapman, who is probably best known um, to, to TV fans of uh, prestige, uh, like, sort of network drama types. 
like Lost uh, as Lionel Fusco on Person of Interest. Uh, oh, in, did Michael uh, was Michael Emerson like I like that man? Put him on my next show. Maybe it's possible, uh, but I I know that uh, it's still not a show that I've done, and maybe someday. Uh, but I know people adore Person of Interest, uh, and so he had a. Uh, an important role on that show. So this guy is not nobody, uh, but he, it is hilarious. He's Mitch Security is his official name, uh, which uh, is absolutely incredible. No, because you know, this you know, dude definitely is straight up Saul. It's absolutely Paul the Gunman. He, he much like the England Fibers, disguised his name yeah. so that like no one would suspect that they were related. Actually, Mitch is my last him. name. I'm Paul Mitch, Paul the Gunman. It's me. That's just me yeah, just exactly. going just around. Well, you you remember the manifest that came up in Namaste? Well, I got my hands on it again. Amy Goodspeed, she's not around anymore. For she flew an airplane away from the island because she's definitely Amelia Earhart. But Absolute I, magic. Here's, Absolute here's magic. the here's the manifest. Uh, let's talk about Horace here for a second, because yeah, I mean this is uh this I mean I guess Redzinski is right. Horace does not have the cojones. He doesn't have what it takes. Uh, and that Horace like basically gets shouted down and just sits there and does nothing in response. Yeah. And it's interesting. I guess it shows that maybe in this moment you have people like Phil and Paul, the gunman who are more loyal to Radzinski. Cause otherwise you would imagine that like he has them take Radzinski and put him in a holding cell, right. For just completely acting out of line. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's like, I don't know. Uh, I hate, Phil here, Mike, is my problem. My hang. Oh, well, of course, yeah. Phil's Phil again. He's a weasel. My hang up here in this entire scene because I expect Redzinske to be terrible. Uh, I expect Horace to be just like a total bummer. But here comes Phil, this total nerd in the corner, being like, "I could make him talk." Uh, and he just starts beating the crap out of Juliet. I hate him. I hate him. I hate him so much. I really do. I think that like so much of our energy is focused on Stu Radzinski and being awful, and it should be focused on that. But we got to split it a little bit because Phil, oh, I hate him. I hate him so much. Yeah. I mean, listen, uh, Phil's going to have his own undoing next episode, right? And I guess your mileage may vary as to whether he should get that pull through his chest, but... Yeah, right here, it's we're sort of like, no, nobody hits our Juliet. What do you think you're doing, Phil? I mean, from a tactical perspective, he might be right. And like, hey, if Sawyer's not talking, if we hit him, if we hit someone who's close to him, maybe that would help. But it does not make him that much better of a person. No, not at all. Um, So they, uh, Mitch Security, Paul the gunman shows up uh, talking about Hurley. And so we cut to Hurley. He's like packing a bunch of stuff. He's got this guitar case, you know, which we mm -hmm. still don't know what's in there. Um, and as he's sneaking off, uh, Pierre Chang is following close behind. Remember, we left Dr. Chang with uh, hearing from Daniel Faraday that he is Miles's father. Uh, so he tracks Hurley to Jin and Miles and uh, starts to to grill them about uh, Pierre the Grillman. Uh, yes. About like... Uh, are you guys actually from the future or not? And he starts like asking Hurley all these questions. Uh, Hurley says, I'm 46. He's like, so you fought in the Korean War? And Hurley going, there's no such thing. Um, this, this is a really great performance from Jorge Garcia. Again, though his time in season five is very limited, especially in the incident, like he makes a meal out of what he's been given. And I love this too. You spoke about this during Namaste that like his worst fears have come true. 
right story. I told him, I guarantee nobody's going to ask who the president of the United States is. And he does just that. And Hurley just immediately says, all right, dude, we're from the future. Yeah, so I just love that callback to Namaste. I think is a really funny closing of the loop. Uh, and just like, it, like, it's an example. I know it seems small. My favorite thing to do, take a small thing, make it a little bit bigger. And I know it's just like a throwaway joke. But I think that like it's emblematic of the writing style to season five mm-hmm. of Absolutely. how much it just feels like it's very thoughtful. You know, like we're just like we're we set stuff up and we close it out. Like, I think that's one of the reasons why season five is so effective for me. Um, yeah, we talked about we've talked about how it's, it's incredibly cohesive. In fact, we're talking about an episode where the next scene, or the next couple scenes are going to be going back to a scene we saw in the premiere. But yeah, Dr. Chang, despite being so irascible in the previous two episodes, like is actually, you know, starting to pick up what Daniel Faraday was putting down, right? He followed Hurley to be like, oh, okay, you actually are from the future. And I think part of this comes from, obviously, the very first scene we saw, and that we saw again in the variable of him unlocking into the orchid, talking about time travel. I think this is the concept that is not completely foreign to him. Well, I do agree with Sawyer in the previous scene that I think if they talk to these security doofs about where and when they're from they're not going to be on board with it but someone like dr chang is totally ready to drink the kool-aid in that regard and i will say that you know again talking about closing of the loop miles finally gets to like talk with his father yeah after his father has realized who he is yes and his big moment i think will come later when they're watching through the bushes but like if you watch this episode for anything character wise watch it for miles it's very this is again is a it's a little closing of this mini arc that we got over the past few episodes. And even through this episode, right? Because Miles wants to strike out on his own. He wants to start over. And he's like, screw Sawyer and Juliet. Every man for himself. Very proto-Sawyer. Yeah. But now he's going to have a little bit of like his own Sawyer warming moment when he realizes that uh, the dad he's been, you know, having such a bad opinion of all these years. It's not that bad of a guy. Yeah. I just love that when Pierre looks at Miles, he goes, you're my son. Uh, like they're like he's like kind of like it's like a happy moment, and like they don't like really yeah. dwell on it. They don't have like the huge hug or anything like that. But it is like this moment where Pierre Chang. It's like I think it's like validation of his life's work, and then it's also like pro- you know like pride in seeing his son in this moment, um, being so intrinsically tied to his life's work, uh, and then also like all right, well, I got to work with my son to make sure that he lives and that everybody else here lives. Like, I have to get to yeah. work myself. And I feel like... That, he- that's an, What I love about this episode is I think both Eloise and Pierre Chang very much have that attitude. Yeah. Like, they are both absolutely on board. They're like, great, here is the absolute most wackadoo thing I've heard in my life. Got it, digested it, ready to move on. Like, what, what's next? And yeah. I think that's a really fun way for these characters to get involved again i know it's necessary given how propulsive the finale is but good look on both of these characters to have these massive things appear for both of them to be dealing with their own sons on the island in different ways and for both of them to say okay clearly if that's the case then this is something incredibly important that i need to do a really funny moment here is like pierre chang is like all right so your friend the physicist like he told me to evacuate everyone should i do that uh, and uh, Pierre says, uh, or it's uh, Miles who says, look, if he said get off the island, I would do it. And then there's this whole moment of like, let's hope he knows what he's doing. And then we cut to dead Daniel Faraday on the ground, yeah. uh, which is just absolutely incredible. Widmore is there and he's like, I swear this guy looks very familiar. I can't quite place it. 
Is he my son? Yeah, back son? when I was a little bit more of like a whiny, short-haired yeah. a-hole, I remember someone who looked very similar to him. Is this my son? Uh, and so Eloise is there. She's going to close Daniel's eyes. And like, it's interesting that like she like, you know, she kills her son and immediately changes the course of her entire life. Um, but she, um, instantly gets into action. You know what I mean? Like she, yep. she copes with what she's done right away. Like she like becomes the Eloise Hawking that we know in this moment. Yep. I feel like I, I, th- I would imagine that this is the transformative moment, right? Like I know we certainly saw some, some, uh, aggressiveness in Jughead and certainly aggressiveness to shoot Daniel Faraday in the back. No questions asked. But I do think this is a, a seminal moment in her life. I would imagine this is certainly what puts her on the path to be like, all right, I am the keeper of the sacred timeline in that way. But something that we should note here is that it seems like what's implied here, Josh, is not only did Eloise Hawking kill her son, but it seemed to imply she killed her son while she was pregnant with said son. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so, hooray, like, Faraday's still here. <laughs> I don't know. Like, this is so messy. It's so messy. Uh, yeah, it's, it's incredibly it's messy. messy but you also wonder, like, how much does that have an impact on her character? I didn't mention it before, but I agree with what you've said back in Jughead that War Turtle, middle stage Eloise Hawking, I think is a, is really really great, and I love the emotion she has on her face when she gets unfortunate confirmation from Jack about what you know who Faraday was and her experience. Like, there is genuine emotion on her face like she is clearly very broken up about the idea of killing a future version of her son and the repercussions of her actions and i feel like part of that has to be informed with who's in her belly right now you know there's one thing to be pierre chang and be like here's my baby over here and here's the future version of him it's another thing for eloise hawking to be like i am raising right now within my own body someone who i am going to kill it's got to be such a torturous tempestuous thought And for Eloise Hawking in this moment to be able to plow through it and maybe use these remaining years to just sort of like push that trauma aside in order to serve a larger purpose sounds incredibly tragic. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, Richard's going to tell Jack that Charles and Eloise uh, love can be complicated is what they say. And we use that to leverage ourselves back to the future uh, where Richard is walking with Locke. And Ben, um, this is the sound clip we listened to before Bomb and the Radzinske, uh, <laughs> where, uh, where, <laughs> where, where, the, where, the, <laughs> where the smoke monster is like telling them where to go. I'm the leader now. I want you to take me to Jacob. And Richard's right, like, it's that oh, thing where Ben's okay. like, well, that's not how it works. He's like, yes, it does, Ben. Shut up. Yes. Yeah. So like, he's just very assertive in this way. He's not. He's not playing by the rule book. Uh, he's the he's this uh, he's 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 you know breaking down the foundations of how this is done, uh, and so he's like uh, you know kind of like bulldozing his way towards a meeting with Jacob and Richard, being like that's not how this goes by tradition. And like say what you will about Benjamin Linus, but it would appear he observed tradition. Um, mm-hmm. This is the monster, and the monster knows that the tradition, at least in his opinion, is bullshit because he knows who's behind it. He's been there from the beginning, um, so he's just like, yeah, well, uh, you know, dangle that badge at me all you want. It's a piece of paper. I'm gonna rip it up. You know, like he's just like gonna go through. Uh, so it's very scary. It, like the way that he just like 
steamrolls Richard, uh, I think is is rather frightening. Um, but Richard, who is supposed to be this guy who holds the line, is just like also just not holding the line at all. Right, and that's also a big setup for the final season, right? This idea, and we we talked about this even with the shape of things to come of like when the boss is defeated and there's a bigger boss behind it, you know, that adds a certain other layer of tension to it. We experienced that when Kimi kills Alex, right? And Ben, who's the big bad of season three, is defeated. And we certainly get it here. And I think it really sets up the destabilization that comes in season six of like, up to this point, Richard Alpert has been regarded as like the person in the highest position on the island. Benjamin Linus has been in the know the most out of any character so far. Here's someone comes in and basically, like, supplants them both. Right. And says, get down on your knees. I'm, look at me, look at me. I'm the captain now. Right. I'm the new man in charge. We're doing this now. Uh, it's, it's, it's really frightening from that perspective to essentially have him come in under the guise of Locke saying, nope, we're doing things differently now. And he sort of proves his power here by closing this loop, right? Essentially proving, like, don't worry, I know what I'm talking about by taking them to John Locke and telling Richard everything he needs to know about the conversation they're about to have. Mm -hmm. All right. So uh, he's going to go and initiate this conversation. Let's listen into the rest of the scene here. Sound four. Richard. Richard. What is happening? What's happening? You're bleeding to death. I need to get the bullet out. How did you know there was a bullet in my leg, Richard? Because you told me there was, John. No, no. No, I didn't. Well, you will. This must be quite the out-of-body experience. Something like that. Your timing was impeccable, John. How did you know when to be here? The island told me. Didn't it ever tell you things? No, John. And clearly it hasn't told you where Jacob is, or you wouldn't need Richard to show you. You've never seen him. What? Jacob. You've never seen him, have you? What just happened? Where did you go? To give Richard his compass back. Want the bullet? Keep it. Everything go all right? Well, you, you seem pretty convinced. Especially when I said you were going to die. Certainly glad that didn't have to happen. Actually, Richard, it did. You better get back to camp. I just love Michael Emerson's Hoen. Yeah. Uh, how did you know your timing is impeccable? Uh, how did you know when to be here? Uh, and he like he's like just like playing with his food here. He's just watching from the sidelines, loving it, and also doing his other pivotal job here, which is to make Ben feel like a jackass. Uh, 
uh, so yep. that he's like even more riled up to go and kill Jacob uh, in the next episode. Um, the whole thing and like cutting back and forth. I mean, not for nothing, Mike. This is our last time seeing the living John Locke on the island. Uh, mm, that's a very good point, and it's and he's being used as a chess piece. Yeah, in that regard, right? Yeah. He's being used as like a point of, hey, look. To show you how much I know this island, you have to do this. And it's less so like a final moment with John Locke and more so a dual, hey, here's how the man in John Loki was able to use this version of John Locke to his advantage. But yeah, I absolutely agree. It is total like older sibling, younger sibling thing for John for John Loki to be like, ah, yes, you know, uh, the island told me where to go. Oh, did they, did it never do that to you, Ben? Huh? I could have sworn after all these years that the island certainly would have told you where to be in certain portions of time. Oh, well, I wouldn't look into it if I were you. Certainly nothing to write home about. Yeah, yeah. It's all great. It's really great. I love the, like, uh, you seemed pretty convinced, uh, especially that part about dying. I'm glad that we didn't have to do that. And he's like, well, uh, <laughs> about that. Uh, yeah, and then awkwardly, did. like, looks down, like, whistle, whistle, whistle. Hopefully no one addresses the elephant in the room yeah. again. Beep, bop, boop. Um, so it's just great. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how much more we need to talk about the loophole. I think I've made my thoughts on it pretty clear. We're going to get to feedback um, at the end of the season. So if you've got thoughts on the loophole with the compass and everything, when we get to our season five wrap-up show, that'll be the place to, to revisit this in greater detail. Um, in 1977, we've got um, Pierre is, uh, he's like coming down to warn about the evacuation, but uh, Radzinske is insisting that we got to be, we got to be drilling. We're on a schedule and you hear a voice in the back like yeah we gotta keep drilling gotta keep drilling never stop drilling uh i'm on it boss uh the boss and sawyer is gonna say like all right it's not safe here uh this isn't good this is the day it's happening put us on the sub we need to get out of here get the women and children out of here as well and if you put me and juliet on the submarine with you we'll tell you everything you need to know uh, are you cool with that, Julian? She's like, absolutely, yes, a hundred percent. Yeah. So let's let's talk about this because you know this is a big pivot from Sawyer, even an episode ago, where he was really trying to hold everything together, right? He was really trying to weave this tapestry that he's been con- constructing, much like Jacob, under the shadow of the statue for the past three years, and obviously he has lost control of that, you know, his own men are interrogating him. I think in this moment, Sawyer has to kind of like, not give up the ghost, but be like, all right, you know, the the image of paradise is over. That's what Juliet kept telling him in the previous episode. And he's like, I got to keep going. He sort of embodies what Miles said earlier of, you know, screw the others that are back there. I think we're just going to have to leave. And I think it's something that he's not exactly happy about. But I think in this moment, it's all about survival. And I think he knows, especially if there is something coming, and especially since he's is not team blow up the bomb, that he's like, oh, if we get out of here, that'll be nice. Yeah. Uh, so he's happy with that uh, arrangement. Meanwhile, Eloise and the others are with Jack and Kate. Kate's not going to do this. She refuses. Um, and we uh, get like this real like tense situation where the others look like they are going to uh, strike back. Um, and it's a, uh, it's a very lucky thing that Saeed has been lurking nearby in the woods uh, where he is able to uh, 
It's going to say de-escalate the situation, but he's kind of escalating it, no? It's, it's more so like changing from one escalator to another. Uh, you people know? are like, dying. It's Saeed is, uh, yeah. you know, he's bad. It's like changing, changing one body for another. Mm-hmm. Instead of Kate, it's Eric or the red shirt that they brought along, whatever his name was. Right. So uh, we got some some people getting shot. Um, Albert is like really out on all of this. And Ellie's mm-hmm. like, listen, we got to do this. Uh, if they're right about what they need to do, it has to happen. It has to go down. Um, now that Saeed has rejoined the party, he's going to have some more thoughts on everything that's going down, especially when he realizes what he believed his purpose to be has been completely negated. And he's not going to be thrilled about it. And Kate is going to kind of read him the riot act. Uh, let's listen in sound number five. So you're telling me you're going to erase the last three years of our lives. We can change things, Saeed. I don't know if you're aware of this, but I've already changed things. I killed Benjamin Linus. And we're all still here. It's because you didn't kill him. Sawyer and me took him to the others so that they could save him. Why did you do that? Why did I do that? Since when did shooting kids and blowing up hydrogen bombs become okay? The three of us disappeared off that plane and ended up here, ended up now, because this is our chance to change things. And if you're wrong, then everyone on the island dies. Do you understand that? I'm not wrong, Kate. This is it. This is why we're here. This is our destiny. Do you know who you sound like? Because he was crazy too, Jack. You said so yourself. Well, maybe I was wrong. But you were right. I'm going back to find the rest of our people because if I can't stop you, then maybe they can. It's interesting if you think about the beginning of the episode where Daniel Faraday walks in and gets shot and Jack and Kate are getting, you know, farkas over in a tent Probably in a tent nearby, Josh, is baby Ben Linus yeah. recovering from his trip to the temple. Yeah. Uh, it's a good thing Saeed doesn't know that because then he just leaves and like slips in and smothers baby Ben. Uh, yeah, just like, and then they're like, oh, got to take him back to the temple again. And they just keep bringing him yeah. back again and again and again. <laughs> just making him worse and worse and worse. Uh, I think that this whole scene is really, really great. Uh, I love I love Kate like calling calling it like it is. Like, you sound like Locke. He was crazy, too. And Jack's like, no, I think he was right. And Kate's like, no, you were right. This is wrong. Um, And I think what's great about it is like he's saying this is our destiny. And so like in ways, they're both right. They are destined to do this. This has to happen because, you know, the the fundamental underpinnings of how time works in this, uh, that if they don't do this, then the, the Swan Station never exists. And obviously the Swan Station is very important to their lives and a thing that they've used and. Um, moved around in in the past so like he's right in that it's their destiny and kate is right in that he's wrong for wanting to do this uh and that the things that they are doing are wrong um he's not wrong in that like this is this is destiny he's right about that but what he's trying to do is fundamentally wrong Mm -hmm. yeah and that's the thing about kate is that you know especially when you get into what kate did it is kind of funny which is like, like blowing up bombs is wrong and it's like eh. blowing up a house, though. Yeah, don't uh, worry about that. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, yeah, I think. Well, I, but that's to that point, though. I think 
she very much has her own sort of moral compass in its own time loop of like a means to an end from a certain perspective, right? Like she goes after Wayne because of the really depraved stuff that he put her and her mother through. And she saw that as the only way out. The reason why Kate is constantly running is because she feels like there is always a way out of a situation. Uh, and and so I, I do think that she has experienced as well, like people suffering because of the actions she has done, uh, like Tom, for example. So I think when she talks about like, what are you two doing? You're shooting kids. You're blowing up hydrogen bombs. She's very much coming from this perspective of, look, I've done some stuff back in my day. I'm not proud of it, but I do it for, you know, I have at least a, a relative sense of what not to do. It seems like with you two, it's no holds barred. And that's not the way to proceed, in my opinion. Yeah. Um. So I, I just love the whole exchange. I think it's a fun philosophical argument. And I think it's a great example of how, like, Someone can be both right and wrong at the same time, uh, I think, is, yeah. is very much. And it, it, all, it all depends on your own perspective and sort of like the values that you take. And especially the post he's our you, Saeed, is also a really interesting character as well. We're going to get into it in another uh, very fun line later on. But like Saeed is just like very much like whatever happens, happens, and then, you know, for lack of a better term, right? Of like, I'm a killer. I'm a bad, bad man. So sure, let me blow up an entire orphanage. It's fine. I already have a terrible, terrible personality. <laughs> yeah, it's all it's already okay. I uh, am a killer. I kill. I try to kill a kid. Yeah. Um, the Dharma Initiative are putting people on the submarine. Young Charlotte gets on the sub. Um, Pierre puts young Miles and his wife on the sub. Uh, and Miles watches from a distance. He's like, oh, my God. He's doing the uh, what? What is it? Uh, the, 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 the Harry and, and the Hendersons, Hendersons where, yeah. yeah, where they throw rocks at Harry, so Go. that he goes into the woods. Go, yeah, it's, but yeah, it's I mean, this, I mean, Ken Lang does a really great job of delivering his line because this feels like an epiphany to him. And again, I think it's really closing this arc where, in some like it Hoth, one of the reasons why he didn't want to talk to Chang is a because it's awkward. B he doesn't want to reopen that part of his life, and C. Because his mom told him his entire life that his dad was a jackass who wanted nothing to do with him. Yeah. And now his entire worldview has changed of like, no, he was actually really caring and only did what he needed to do. Made sure this was the last time he ever saw the son that he loved so much until right now because he wanted to save their lives. And I, I think it's a genuinely touching moment. It's an incredibly small moment for an incredibly small arc. But it's a moment I really appreciate. I love it. I think it's really, really beautiful. Uh, they see Sawyer and Juliet going to the side. They're like, all right, cool. They've got a plan, I'm sure. And indeed, Sawyer does have a plan. But his plan is uh, basically the Biff Tannen plan. Uh, yep, yep. Yeah. Like, give me a, we're going to find me instead of us. I'm, I'm my own sports almanac, Blondie. Don't, I don't you need worry an about almanac. That. Yeah. So it's like, we're going to bet on the Cowboys in the 78 Super Bowl. We're going to be rich. It's going to be great. Uh, she's like, OK, yeah. sounds good. And there's there's some really sweet stuff here, though, right? Where Sawyer apologizes to Juliet, basically being like, hey, you know what? In LaFleur, we probably should have left on that day. But Juliet says she's happy she talked her way out of it. It's actually very evocative of that Jack-Kate scene, right? Where Sawyer's taking the perspective, much like Jack, of, yeah, none of this should have happened. You know, look where we are right now. And Juliet and Kate are coming from this perspective of, it wasn't all bad. In fact, right. it was a lot of good before the past couple days. Uh, and I, I really like this very sweet music as the two see each other. But then a really interesting moment where Sawyer stands on the sub, looks back on the island and says, good riddance. 
it's a really unique moment because remember Sawyer didn't have that moment in season four. He jumped out of the chopper. He sacrificed himself so that others could leave the island without him. I would imagine there's a lot of weird mixed emotions when it comes to leaving the island, but I think the derision and finality with which he regards leaving the island right now, I think is an interesting sort of like picking up where Sawyer was at the end of season four, despite all the places he's gone in season five. Uh, I'm of a couple of minds here. I think it it is, uh, it is, it is terrific advancement of Sawyer's story that in this moment, he is content to leave the Island where he has had a pretty good life the last three years, because uh, as they say, home is where the heart is and his heart is Mm. with Juliet. Uh, And so wherever they go, they will be at home. And that is enough. Uh, Dianu. Um, What doesn't jive with me quite as well is like, so Things are about to get really, really bad. Like something is going to like potentially like something catastrophic is coming. Pierre Chang is saying it's not safe. Sawyer agrees it's not safe. And then he and Juliet are just going to leave. But what about Miles and Jin and Hurley and Jack and Kate? Uh, right. Is Sawyer just like, say la vie, good riddance. I jumped out of a helicopter once for you guys. I'm not jumping out of a submarine. Is that Which valid? Is, but, but is that justified? So it feels so antithetical, though, to There's No Place Like Home Part 1, right? Where Sawyer's like, oh, God, Hugo's with them? Okay, we have to go to the work. Not only that, that, but, like, also, like, just, like, where he is now, that, like, he's done everything to, like, hold out until these guys come back, and now they're back, and he's not doing anything. Um, I don't know. I don't know that I love this from from Sawyer, unless uh, someone's got, like, a really good, compelling argument as to why this is totally fine. My response would be that it's not totally fine, but it might feel within character of where Sawyer is right now. Where, again, he he's a con man. He built up this con for three years. It fell apart. Right. And I wonder if part of that is a bit of like, much like that old part of Jack is leaking out with the, oh, you can fix everything. It's part of old Sawyer leaking out of, all right, we just pack on up and move on to the next place. That despite the advancement that he's gone through, is there's still a part of James Ford that is like, when the going gets tough, you can always just up and go to the next location and continue on. Uh, I, I wonder if that's a part of his personality that, granted, is not a good part of him, but something that he might be defaulting to in the face of just everything blowing up in his face sans a hydrogen bomb. Yeah, uh, I think that, that that tracks to a certain degree. I don't have to love it. I don't have to love it. Yeah, uh, exactly. Let's go from uh, let's go from all of this. Let's go to the bomb. Um, uh, Richard is going to. This is the whole like swimming sequence, right? Like this is the yeah. So th- this is like they there. There's a lake that they're next to, and basically Eloise is like, "Well, you have to swim underneath the lake," uh, which this is what Kate noped out of before, right? She's like, "I'm not doing this." Jack understandably turns to Sidey and is just like, "Thanks for for you know shooting that guy before. You don't need to come if you don't want to. I totally understand. This is a cockamamie proposition, but I'm going to be swimming forward." And so Richard and Jack are going to swim forward to this beautiful piece of set decoration. We continue on the temple theming here as we get to explore the tunnels. Some nice Richard sass here, too, right? Where Jack's like, how are we going to get the bomb out? And Richard's like, well, obviously, we're not going to take the bomb underwater, doctor. We have other ways. Don't worry. Yeah. Uh, Saeed has an incredible line here. It's so great that I wanted uh, to have it on here as a sound if you want to give it a rip. I think you'd come. Well, if this works, you might just save us all. And if it doesn't, 
At least you'll put us out of our misery. I see this as an absolute win. Yeah, I love that. I think that that's such a great line from Saeed and like uh, very in line with the character. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. he's just kind of very pragmatic. It's like, all right, either this works or we're instantly incinerated and ah, well, game over. <laughs> And then this is also, again, from this character, right, who, again, not to say he's suicidal, but he's very much like, I'm a bad person. I've done a lot of bad things. I'm a killer through and through. If I died here, it's totally cool. It's absolutely fine. And we'll, you know, save that for next episode when he actually is on death's door. Well, also, though, like, he still believes uh, in, like, what he did, right? Like, he tried to kill Ben and by killing Ben maybe undo all of the misery that happened to to everybody else and then like they saved Ben's life so his plan didn't work but he may still believe that like we can change everything by eliminating a component of the past like don't you dare tell me that I don't have free will here don't you dare tell me that I can't like actually change something um, don't tell me what I can and can't do he hasn't had the whatever happened happened conversation with anybody he hasn't had a moment to like observe that science with Daniel Faraday or anything like that so Saeed who is a guy who believes in what he sees and believes in himself and his abilities certainly believes that he could kill a kid if he has do if it means changing the future and if he was already willing to do that then blowing up a nuclear bomb uh is you know not a a huge leap but it is it is um interesting to get saeed back in this territory right having uh wasn't that like a big piece of what he was doing in uh the greater good uh that yeah. he was like uh on on this uh this mission um to infiltrate uh, a sleeper cell and potentially uh, blow up a huge bomb um so now he's back in that territory and this time he's not standing down this time he's all the way in right and i think that's also a point of how maybe he learned from that experience too right because that was also he had to like you know he not he didn't like fall for the mark but if i recall that episode correctly this was an old friend of his and he felt mm-hmm. guilty about yeah. what he was doing to the point where omar finds out I, f- I forgot whatever his name was, and he kills himself. So, like, perhaps I learned from that experience of, like, no, 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 you don't become the person to stop this operation. You become part of the operation at the end of the day. And so, yeah, it looks like Team Bomb at the moment is Richard Alpert, Eloise Hawking, Jack Shepard, and Saeed Jarrah, which is a good get just in general to have Saeed on your team. He's a, a very good, uh, a very good executor of plans. Very strong squad. Um, all right, let's get into the penultimate sound of the episode. It's going to be uh, Fake Lock, Ben, and Richard returning to the group, uh, and Smokey McSmokerton has a few things he'd like to say to the crowd. Hello, everyone. My name is John Locke. I've been told that for some time, you all have been accepting orders from a man named Jacob. And yet... Oddly enough, it seems that no one has actually seen him. Now, I'm sure there are very good reasons why his existence and whereabouts are a secret. I just don't know what they are. And to be honest with all of you, if there's a man telling us what to do, I want to know who he is. This man, Jacob, can he tell us how to bring Jin and the rest of our people back here? Absolutely. Richard has agreed to show us where we need to go. So I'm going to go and see Jacob. Right now. And I'd like all of you to come with me. 
Thank you. I'm starting to think John Locke is going to be trouble. Why do you think I tried to kill him? trouble my friends with the capital t and that rhymes with p for putting a knife in jacob yeah with a capital y and that rhymes with i and that stands for island uh yeah so they are going to uh they're gonna go on a little expedition uh and this is this is very troubling for richard he's like oh man i've been waiting all this time for this guy this is the guy yeah, and I, I didn't play it before, but the the scene prior to this with the dialogue is just complete steamrolling, right? Like Locke keeps interrupting Richard. He just says, hey, is, "Is everybody here?" He's like, "No, not really. That yeah, close enough." All right, everybody, gather round, take a knee. Time for a huddle here. And yeah, this is a it's a big speech from Locke. It shows again, it's a little scary because it shows that it's not really shown in this moment more so in season six, but like the whole idea of man in black, I acolytes and who he infects. Uh, that's an idea that sort of gets set up here of the, the influence he's able to wield over people is significant. And yeah, in this moment, he's able to convince an entire group of people of like, yeah, let's go see Jacob. Why haven't we ever seen him before? I had a thought just now. Um, cause so son's like, can this guy, Jacob, uh, tell us how to bring gin back and Locke's like yeah absolutely um does the smoke monster think that everybody in the dharma days does he does he view it the same way richard alpert views it and does he think they all die there does he think that they does he think that they all get nuked and therefore if he kills Jacob, if he has Ben kill Jacob, and if it's Jin, not Sun, who's the Quan on the wall, are the candidates dead? And mm. is is it checkmate? Does the smoke monster think it's about to be checkmate here? Oh, that's a really interesting idea. And so yeah, season six, he's like acting... kind of scrambling. He's like, shit. No, he's he no, he's acting super cocky, right? Like he has the ball at the one yard line and is about to like spike it in the end zone of like hey, I have everything, just got to get Ben to stab Jacob. It's an interesting idea. And it's like, I mean, bro, we've got even, 18 episodes after that. He's like, shit, I didn't realize we got another yeah. season. Damn it. Well, even after even after all that, though, I think it would make sense that he knows what Richard and assumingly Jacob do, right? Of, oh, yeah, this bomb blew up and all these people died. Yeah, we're experiencing them now, but eventually they're going to travel back in time to the 70s and all die via an explosion. That, yeah, now that I think about it, now there are certainly, I think, candidates that still exist out there right like ben i think was a candidate so like he still is is hanging around uh but yeah it could be a way for him to be like oh well once we kill jacob there's a lot of candidates gone at this place so he continues to sell son a load of bs just to be like yeah sure he'll give you a heart tin man and he'll give you some courage lion and son he'll give you your husband back don't you worry right but jacob um jacob knows that they're coming he's gonna say that to them they're they're coming you know um so how he knows that why he knows that um is it just belief or does he know it and does he know something because you're gonna see it on the man in black's face when he leans down he's like i can't hear you and he says they're coming and he does not look happy about it um it looks like shit there's another level i thought this was the final boss <laughs> i thought this was the, i don't have any more quarters for this yeah the, that last exchange of lines in this scene i'm starting to think john Locke is going to be trouble why do you think i tried to kill him 
it's a fun cut to black, but also like that's that's not the reason why Ben tried to kill him though. Right, it, that the reason wasn't oh John Locke's going to be trouble when he comes back. Well, to the island. we talked about this. Yeah, but I think to him it's like he's a little more trouble than he's worth. You know, maybe a piece of it. Like that is what he's going to tell him at one point. He's like, yeah, I tried to kill you because I just didn't have time to convince you to hang yourself again. You know, so it's like I think that there is a piece where like, yeah, I've been dealing with him and he's just a pain in the butt. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I don't like but it. though I think the way he's coming across here, though, at least the delivery to me was more of like. He was a big threat. That's why I had to take him out. Which, again, like we, we talked about this in Dead is Dead. We talked about this in Jeremy Bentham. That's not exactly the reason why. Though, to your point, it might have been a kernel of it. Yeah. Uh, remember when they called him the colonel? Um, all right. Back uh, on the submarine. We're not going to Ann Arbor. Once we hit the dock, we're free. We'll go into the real world. Like, what is that? And he's like, it's a show on MTV. We'll pitch it. We'll yeah, make exactly. money. I'm, I'm going to be the first person on it. They're going to cast me as the stereotypical redneck. Yes. Put me in there with, with the gay guy. It's going to be great. Happens. It's going to be great. Uh, he says, whatever happens, I got your back. They exchange I love yous. It's very, very, very sweet. And then, of course. Yeah. Again, especially considering we know what's coming uh, down the line. And also, like, if you're talking about sliding doors, obviously this wouldn't happen, but like they nearly left. They nearly went off into that that paradise, you know, that they were talking about. But hold on, we got one more. Oh and my Pink god. Comes down, yeah, with uh, and Mitchell the love Security. is back on the menu, boys. Yeah, here's uh here's Paul the gunman, right? He's gonna be on the submarine as well. Well, uh it's not fair that my cousin Saul gets to go underground and just drill everything. I get to at least go underwater. Otherwise it's not fair. Fair is fair. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I would say that in another universe, Paul overhears Sawyer and Juliet, makes it off the island, bids on Microsoft, and becomes like a big tycoon. Yeah. You know, becomes one of the richest men in the world because of what he overheard. Uh, so Kate is now with the sub crew, and it's like, oh, geez, here we go. The submarine departs, goes underwater, and yeah, holy in a, in a, effing in a, in a, crap. <laughs> the absolutely <laughs> atrocious graphics. Yes! Of yes! this submarine. Yes! This submarine yes! is dog shit. It's this so submarine bad. is terrible. It makes it makes the plane crash in Namaste look like Gollum from Lord of the Rings. It's atrocious. Comparison. It's atrocious. It's blocky. It's pixely. It's so bad. The the, 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 the effect of the water around it's, it is terrible. It looks like <laughs> it looks like they lifted an effect from like Lost Via Domus, that video game that yeah. we spoke about, and just put it in the middle because they were running out of time. Don't include the shot. There's got to be another way to convince us that you've submerged. This is so bad. The CGI submarine has always really, really, really bothered me. It has never improved. It is so bad it's garbage it's terrible i'm giving it a it's, preemptive lvp point oh yes it's so it's just bad it's like it's, sorry it's, galaga game over it's one of those inanimate objects that is so atrocious that it absolutely deserves an lvp point uh the cgi submarine is gonna take a hit here it's just so bad i hate it it's just, <laughs> I, I laugh every time uh, it takes you so much out of the scene because again, I there's know. tension. It's like, well, what's going to happen now that Kate's here? And then, like, oh no, everyone, welcome to the you know the SS 1997 in computer graphics, right next to the original Toy Story, heading into the water. Very believable. Yeah. Oh my God, not great. Um, back in 2007, uh, with Saeed and Jack, or sorry, back in the 70s with Saeed and Jack, uh, and Eloise and Richard, um there's going to be like a little bit of this moment of like 30 years from now, Eloise is going to tell me how to get back to the Island. So, uh, I trust her enough 
uh, that she doesn't just want to kill Dharma, that like she's in this for the right reasons. They reach the nuke. Um, and now it's a little bit of like, okay, well, what do we do next? Well, we'll have to tune in next week <laughs> yeah. to find well, out. Can you give me like, can you give me like seven days and then I'll tell you what to do? Yeah. Well, th- just come back next week. We'll tell you everything. Um, let's close out the episode with the final sound. Uh, this is iconic stuff. No need for the setup. Let's listen in. Beautiful day, isn't it? Yes, so far. Richard had some concerns. Concerns about what? This pilgrimage to Jacob makes him uncomfortable. He's expressed reservations about whether or not you know what the hell you're doing. I appreciate you bringing this to my attention, Ben. I know we've had our differences in the past, John. But I'm here to follow you now. So if you need Jacob to help you reunite your people, then I'll do whatever. I'm not interested in being reunited with my people. What do you mean? You told son. I know what I told her, but that's not why we're going to Jacob. Then why are we going to Jacob? So I can kill him. such a rat i love such a i love ass. it i love everything about well, this well, Ri- well richard was having problems only richard not me though i'm totally with you yeah he's such a nerd what a little loser this guy oh. and i just love Smokey being like yeah no i'm lying to everybody i'm gonna kill him and you'll you're gonna just like sit with that information because i've already scared the bejesus out of you and i know that you're in line uh, so, like, I just need to tell somebody what I'm about to do because it's too good. I can't sit on this alone anymore. Uh, obviously, because he needs him to do the thing. But, like, I, I just love, like, sort of the giddiness. Like, oh, yeah, no, I'm not interested in any. I, I kind of just want to go to Jacob so that he, we can kill him. No, it's a good point that, like, obviously he needs Ben to be the one to do it. So, like, clearly this is another step in the con to be like, I'm going to do it because... That's, again, speaking onto that really jealous younger sibling dynamic that he's been trying to plant the seed of, right? Of, oh, I get to do this and you don't. And so Ben's like, no, I want to be the one to kill Jacob. It's my thing to do this time. It's a, a brilliant move by Smokey. Such a, su- just such like a thud from this final line. Ben is awestruck. This is a character who we, we talked about is often not surprised to the point where he is like stark standing still, completely yeah. aghast at the idea. And it's a huge revelation as well, right? We have yet to meet Jacob proper. That's going to be the big focus next week. But still, the idea of essentially him ending the episode by saying, I'm going to go kill God is a huge revelation, especially if you think this is John Locke, that he has a purpose now when you think like, oh, his purpose is to be in service to the island. He's going to be the ultimate devotee to it. No, he's going to kill the guy on top of the food chain. That is a giant way to end the episode, and I think a really, really exciting setup on both sides, right? We have this bomb that is going to be set off, and just the the tension of, well, apparently it does go off, but and do they all die from it, or do they succeed here, and the show changes completely? But also, John Locke is going to kill God. How is all of that going to work? Yeah. Uh... 
I love it. I love it. I think it's a really great ending. I think it's really powerful when you know who this guy is. It's very scary. Uh, and it's just such a good setup for uh, for the incident, which is where we are going to go next week. Um, before we close out, we got to do we got to do some rankings. We got to do the stars again. We're going to do feedback at the end of the season. So we will hold off on that. Um, but let's rate the episode i'm giving this one uh, a 3.7 like i think like this this episode feels um it's got like a, a, a same quality level as some of those like earlier season five episodes for me mm-hmm, i think that mm-hmm. like it is chess pc but i think that like that stuff is fun for me the character interactions are great an episode that has like a meaningful amount of time between terry o'quinn and michael emerson is always going to be really fun for me throw nestor carbonell in there as richard alpert and i think you've got a real good cosmic mcgumbo um i i love i love the stuff in the past i love where jack is at i think it's really interesting to pick apart um i think that the hurley scene is uh the hurley you know the the joke there of uh all right fine we're from the future it's just such a fun payoff and i love how they handle miles and pierre i really enjoy watching this one it's not a next level episode of Mm -hmm. lost but i do think it's a great episode of lost um in so far as episodes of lost are basically all great I might go so far as to say this one is underrated, in my opinion. I went with a 3.6, which is about where I put, like, The Lie and This Place's Death. Both of those, I feel like, are more flawed episodes with higher highs, whereas I think this is a really solid episode of Lost. I think maybe it gets a bit more forgotten, because like we've talked about before, it's much more plot-forward of, let's get... Kate and Sawyer and Juliet on the sub. Let's get Jack and Saeed with the bomb. Let's set off to go kill Jacob. But there's so much other character stuff baked into that. Like we said before, the Miles arc sort of gets complete here. We hear a lot about Jack and Kate's separate perspectives as to why they're going in their own individual directions. Saeed gets his perspective. We find out a lot more about, you know, John Loki claiming his power here. He was... He came to that a bit in Dead is Dead, but I think now that that's sort of like judging is out of the way from the Smoke Monster's perspective, this is really him high on his own supply. I think it's actually a pretty strong episode character-wise that I did not remember so uh, usually or in retrospect. So yeah, it's a 3.6 from me. It averages out to a 3.7 for the audience. Uh, I'm seeing as low as a 3, as high as a 4.1 from the great Zach Brooks. So Generally, some some pretty, you know, consistent thoughts about this episode. That's going to average out to a 3.65, which edges out the aforementioned This Place's Death and The Little Prince as the number 10 episode of the season. Gotta feel, Josh, that's going to be number 11 by the time the season is done. Oh, yeah. Incident is uh, is coming in. Uh, we should say a bit of a, a sea change as it stands. The variable is above Lafleur right now. The- right. After, after our... Uh, our- whinging last week of like why didn't anyone give it a 4.2 we did get several after our podcast thank you for satisfying that sorry for the thumb on the scale uh the variable is just a smidge ahead of lafleur so if you're a huge lafleur stand uh now is your chance this 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 is the battle right now yeah but is the incident going to be above either of those i'm interested to find out i am uh i mean it's a finale i'm I'm, I'm I'm gonna say it's a it's at least top three. I'm, I think so. I'm, I mean, I think it's it's a pretty it's going to be a pretty clear four point two for me. Uh, so like it'll at least have that going for it. But I will be interested because I think that um the incident being among the lower tiered finales, I think, is a conversation to have. 
Um, and I think, you know, like all of the finales are basically of like an exceptional level. Is this among the weaker finales? Is it the weakest finale? Uh, you know, feel like, uh, every, what is it like every like 16 to 23, uh, episodes we have this kind of, uh, conversation. So I think it'll be a fun one next week. Supersized episode coming your way. We will have the feedback for you at the end of the season so that we can focus on the business at hand. One last piece of business at hand. It's the MVP LVPs. Mike, you've got three MVPs to give out. I've got two. Um, you've got, uh, two LVPs to give out. I've got three. Um, and one of those LVP points, as I've mentioned, is all is going to the CGI submarine. So one, <laughs> one, one mystery uh, has been established. Let's do the MVPs, Mike. Where do you want to start? I mean, we got to start with with John Loki, right? We got to start with this. You're giving monster. him one, this, right? I'm gonna give him one because I'm gonna I'm gonna divvy it out. But I think like this is this is a big end. This is a big episode for him. Yeah, uh, and in a really big stretch of a season where he's able to really one up. Ben and Richard Alper, both of whom have been sort of like the big dogs. He's a bigger dog in that regard, able to sort of prove his worth, prove his knowledge, and move everyone forward in the success of his plan to kill Jacob. It really is like an all-time episode for the character. Correct. Uh, he gets both points from my end. Um, I, I am very clear about how much I love this character, especially uh, the season five version of the smoke monster when you're in on the joke. Um, I just think he's exceptional. I think it's Terry O'Quinn just having a blast. Uh, I think that the performance just totally translates. Um, it's just, it's terrific stuff. Uh, it's very, it's a very clear uh, one, two shot for me from my MVP points. And we should mention that that puts Smokey up to nine points, tying Sawyer for MVP of season five so far. And Josh, again, let's not put them on the scale. I think I think we're looking at the new MVP of season five. I think he's going to at least edge out Sawyer here in the finale. I think it's possible. I think it's certainly possible. Uh, we'll see where it goes. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think uh, he certainly does much more in the finale than Sawyer does. I'll say that. Yes, yes, yes. Um, all right. Uh, uh, and so what else I, you I got? have two other yeah. points. Yeah, I alluded to this beforehand. Uh, I am going to give one point to Eloise Hawking and one point to Pierre Chang, uh, just because I think. Both of them had pretty big bounce backs from their previous episodes, the previous faux pas they committed. Both of them are totally on board with team time travel. They are essential to what happens. Pierre Chang uh, saves. I mean, if I had another MVP point, I might give it to another one to Pierre Chang because he saves so many lives in what he does here. Despite the fact that you have people being like, ah, don't worry about it. It's fine. You don't need to evacuate the island. The fact that he does so, he saves Charlotte's life, saves his own son's life. Like, Pierre Chang does something really, really great here. And also partly because we talked about this last week with Saul the Drillman. I don't think we've ever given an MVP or LVP point to Pierre Chang before. Wow, really? Uh, and so we got we have to make sure he gets memorialized here. And this might be the last time because, again, uh, it's a big episode, the incident. I don't know if Pierre Chang is going to make it. So I wanted to acknowledge him here while he's doing something super good for the island. He's in the sideways. We have some shots there, but I also think that it could be very crowded when when we get to some of those opportunities. So I love it. I think it's I think it's great here. Um, LVPs, as I've said, uh, CGI submarine is just so bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I, also, I, uh, I have two. Yeah. I'm giving them both to Radzinski. Yeah, I'll pile one on too because he's terrible. Radzinski. Yeah, I'm, I'm for for me, it's one for uh, being just overly aggro and overstepping Horace, and the other one for being so stubborn. When Pierre Chang, like one of the head honchos, walks in and says, don't dig, for you to say, no, we're gonna dig, is just like so impudent. 
so buffoonish. So uh, big mark on Radzinski this week. I think that's fair. Uh, I'm going to give um, the last LVP point. I'll give it to Phil. I hate that guy. I really do. I really hate yeah. Phil. He, he, he deserves it for, for hitting Juliet. Like we said before, I think last week that he was like, more of an ineffective weasel than like an outright villain. But this is when he started after he, something happened in that closet, man. Now he's going to be an a-hole for these last two episodes. It's not great. It's not great. Um, okay. Well, Rosinski really bringing it up in the LVPs. I think he's got that pretty close to locked negative uh, 10 for Rosinski. And he's definitely going to accrue more next week. So I think he's going to be our season five LVP. And then I think the question is, um, will it be the smoke monster or Sawyer for our season five MVP is what it looks like to me. Uh, Juliet, unless she's going to like sweep, she's not really in a workable position. I don't think with six and then John Locke has eight MVP points, but he did. He's no longer eligible. Uh, I know this is the last time we could have given him a point in the, the real world. Yeah. Is it Sawyer? Is it Smokey? Is it another tie? Is it Frank Lapidus? Yeah, is it Frank? You know, we'll figure, we'll figure it out um after the fact um okay so next week it's the incident it's happening it's real we're gonna do the season five finale the week after that is gonna be the season five feedback special you want to get your feedback in for that now down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com and because we are getting so close to it let me just reiterate that what the uh schedule looks like for down the hatch is we are at the gates of season six. We are at the door of the final season of Lost. We are watching Across the Sea as our first episode of season six. So we're going with the incident, then a season five feedback special, and then Across the Sea. Do not go from the incident to LAX if you want to watch the final season of Lost in the official down the hatch order. You want to watch Across the Sea first. So Bears repeating because we are very, very close to this thing that we have said we are going to do from the very start of Down the Hatch. So that is the news. Um, that is what's coming up. You can get these podcasts early if you are a patron of Post Show Recaps by signing up at patreon.com slash Recaps. Down the Hatch comes your way two days early. You want to get that sweet Down the Hatch magic on a Wednesday instead of a Friday Come on in. Water's warm. We'd love to have you. We're getting very close to the one-year anniversary of the Post Show Recaps patron program. Uh, Lots of really fun stuff in the hopper for that. You want to get involved early. We know you do. Come on down. Patreon.com slash Post Show Recaps. Come talk with all your friends. We're going to be talking about Lost. You hear all these names all the time on the podcast. The great Jim Fells. Come say hi. Talk to all these people. The Ben behind the curtain. He's here. Mike and I are there. Everybody's here. Joe Garfine's in the Discord. You want to be a part of this? Post show recaps on Discord, on Patreon, patreon.com slash post show recaps. Consider signing up. Mike, anything else to add as we start to close this one out? I'm excited for the incident. It's a big, big episode. This is going to be crack open a bottle of Pellegrino. Josh, Jacob <laughs> is finally on the scene. <laughs> Jokes that are designed to get me going. Wow. Yeah, just crack open that sparkling Mark Pellegrino. It's happening. Uh, we will imbibe. Yeah, so it, I mean, it's, it's a big... Th- it's a big thing uh, because Jacob, again, often talked about not seeing. We thought we saw him for a second in the form of Christian Shepard, but he's going to be playing a large role in the endgame as well as season six. 
before he dies in this one. And it really is going to be a culmination of everything we've talked about. We've talked about it for so long. The the fork in the outlet, I think, is the, the code they give for this final twist. We get Jacob being killed. John Locke is the man in black. We're going to talk about that reveal, uh, whether it works at the end of the season. Ben's big move, if you will, to kill the man he has been worshiping for all these years. And then in the past, it happens. The incident. And Juliet dies. Sort of. It's heartbreaking. It's action-packed. It's going to be a big episode to talk about, much like many Lost finales are. And certainly game-changing. I know that we're going to uh, take an extra week to get to it, but how the season ends, combined with how season six starts, gets the fans' minds a tizzy as to what exactly is going on and how wrong we were back then. So I am very excited to be talking about the incident and to really, I think, just start talking about season six of Lost. Because between the touch of Jacob, the idea of the candidates, and the man in black truly taking the throne, it's a it's a big, big shadow in the, in the statue as to what's to come in the final season of Lost. Yep, for sure. All right. What lies in the shadow of the statue? We will find out next week as we talk about the incident. Until then, everybody, take care. Bye-bye. It's a beautiful morning. Let's take a nice long swim, dig into some newly found bore, and have a nice chat about the penultimate episode of Lost Season 5. Shall we, folks? Come on.